Sup, freaks. It's your boy Marty here to introduce this episode of Tales from the Crypt. I had the immense pleasure of sitting down with Kareem Helmy from the Coinmetrics team. We uh, we dove into a newsletter that he wrote for Coinmetrics a couple of weeks ago, diving into nonce data uh, and how it can help us get a better understanding of the Bitcoin mining hardware lifecycle and and when new miners, uh, new mining models are becoming. Uh, more predominant within the network. Fascinating conversation. We talked about that, uh, the hash rate index that Coinmetrics is working on, and the, then just shot the shit about Bitcoin and, and why Kareem's into this and and learned a little bit more about him and, and his views on the space. I think you guys are really going to like this one. Uh, this episode of Tales from the Crypt is brought to you by our good friends at the Cash App. You should know all about them already, but if you don't know about them, let me tell you about them. They're letting us do many things. They're helping us stack sats, send sats, receive sats, uh, DCA into sats, so you can set up an auto-buy within the app now, so you can set it and forget it. And on top of that, they're making sats the standard. Highly recommend you start denominating uh, your Bitcoin purchases in sats within the app. They made it possible now, and it's... the unit bias goes out the window. You're, you're stacking millions of Satoshis instead of uh, fractions of a Bitcoin. It feels more powerful that way. On top of the stat sacking, sending, receiving, selling if you have to, and DCAing into it, uh, they have, uh, they've have they enabled the ability for you freaks to stack slivers of stonks if you want to. All right, You can... Uh, buy as little as $1 of your favorite stonk. If it's too expensive, you don't have all the money to buy one whole stonk, buy as little as $1 via Cash App investing. Because And because this is connected to your bank account, or Cash App may even be your bank account, they're doing many things, including offering you free account numbers and routing numbers. You can start direct depositing your paychecks into the Cash App as well. Uh, and because it's directly connected to your bank account, or it is your bank account. There's no four to five day waiting periods. You can start investing today. Cash App Investing is a member SIPC and a subsidiary of Square. Uh, As always, as always, if you haven't already downloaded the Cash App, what are you waiting for? There's $10 waiting for you out there on the internet in the Cash App servers. I don't know where it is, but it's waiting for you out there. If you download the app and use the code StackingSats, that's one word, S-T-A-C-K-I-N-G-S-A-T-S, you're going to get $10, and $10 is going to go to our good friends at Owls Lacrosse in Chicago. That's Owls Lacrosse. Enjoy this episode with Cream. I had a pleasure getting to know him. You've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free. If you talk about a Fed just gone nuts, all, all the central banks going nuts. So it's all acting like safe haven. I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor. I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin. If you're not paying attention, you probably should be. What is up, freaks? Welcome back to Tales from the Crypt. Tales from the Crypt, excuse me. A little hiccup there. Uh, Here on a a rainy Friday afternoon where I am. Very excited for this conversation. This sort of came together pretty quickly. Uh, The Coinmetrics team put out a newsletter 
earlier this week diving into uh, the dynamics of uh, the having and its effect on mining and uh, had some color on nonce data and how you can sort of derive uh, the the hardware trends at the in the mining world uh, via the nonce data that exist. Uh, I'm sitting down with the person who wrote the newsletter. I'd like to introduce you freaks to Kareem Helmy. Kareem, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Marty. Uh, thanks for having me. I appreciate you coming on. Um, before we dive into the content of the letter and everything I just described, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, how you came to uh, be a data analyst for a data company focused on Bitcoin and other blockchains and um, what you were doing before and, and why you like to focus on the data side of things. Totally. Um, so I uh, studied, you know, data oriented, uh, a data oriented subject. I studied stats and machine learning at Carnegie Mellon, um, just finished up in May of 2019. Um, and then kind of had gotten into crypto while I was there um, through some internship that I did at a bank, a coworker was really into it. And at first I thought it was really stupid, frankly. <laughs> I was like, what is this? Um, it's just drug money. Uh, and then I realized actually it's really cool. It's, it's drug money. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so yeah, uh, from there I graduated, I freelanced for um, about a year. Uh, I've been working with Coinmetrics for about a year uh, on a contract basis and then just came on full time about two weeks ago now. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. Um, yeah, so this article was um, was a really fun one to write and um, did not really see it going the direction that it went in. Um, we kind of just went in with like an exploratory mindset and uh, it was cool to, to see it come out the way it did. Yes. Yeah, so let's dive into it. What, uh, what was the mindset when you first went in and why did it sort of end up the way it did? Totally. Um, so we wanted to build out um, a product to track minor behavior. So uh, measuring the uh, inflows and outflows from uh, mining pools and, and kind of tracking uh, those metrics. In the process, we found out that this is actually like really hard uh, and that uh, a lot of the products that claim to do this kind of make some wacky assumptions or, or don't actually provide full coverage. Uh, so we figured that as like, steps to productizing this, we should put out some research, you know, get to really understand the data um, before we release it to clients. Uh, along that path, one of the things that uh, Coinmetrics had previously done um, in a feature by Antoine was um, tracking, looking at nonce distributions for different uh, cryptocurrencies. So one of the things that popped in my head was what if we segregated these nonce distributions by mining pool? And then from there, it kind of just took on um, a life of its own. We started looking at uh, which pools were mining blocks with which nonces. What can we use this data to do? Um, and then we found out that it actually lines up pretty nicely. Uh, the anomalies in the nonce distribution line up pretty nicely with uh, the occurrence of um, the dominance of ant miner S7s and ant miner S9s. Uh, so we found that we can, yeah. Yeah. So you have this. Bitcoin nonce distribution chart. It looks like uh, it's just a bunch of blue dots on a on a graph, and you can see particularly around 2016 that some of those uh, some of the areas on this chart become less populated with these these nonces. And so, uh, before we dive into what that means, maybe let's describe what a nonce is and and define what it is and how it pertains to Bitcoin. Totally. So. Uh... 
you know, to mine Bitcoin, um, miners solve this puzzle. Uh, the way that the puzzle is structured is that they are looking for a value that makes the block header hash to below a certain threshold that's called the target. Um, so that value is called a nonce. Uh, in theory, the nonce distribution um, of valid nonces that, that make you hash to below that threshold, so what's called golden nonces, in theory, they're randomly distributed. So they should look a lot like static if you just plot them out. Um, the really wild thing was that we found they don't do that. Um, that's what the paper is about. Yeah, so it seems a little bit non-random. And so are we basically able to say from this apparent non-randomness that some miners are are simply uh, leaving out certain nonces when they go to solve these hash functions? Exactly, yeah. Um, and we were able to attribute that to certain types of hardware um, by lining up the timelines. Mm -hmm. So what, um, yeah, it's fascinating. Is this, what, so what does this mean for, for Bitcoin? Is it bad for Bitcoin or does it just mean that uh, miners uh, are highly incentivized to find efficiencies and this just so happens to be, be one of those? Like what, what advantage do miners get from, from leaving out certain nonces on the onset of their solving of this puzzle it seems like an artifact that's relatively harmless um it's definitely doesn't affect the network as a whole it's slightly inefficient for the miners who are doing it and it's probably a side effect of uh over optimization on these hardware uh devices um so you know like miners are, are uh today almost all mining on the network happens on these like super optimized asics um and and I mean these things are are really really like designed to be as efficient as possible. So um, if if they're leaving out these um, these regions, that's you know like a a, a non-trivial um, loss in efficiency that they're doing that. Um, but it's it's likely a side effect of um, bigger gains that they were pursuing. Yeah. And so, but and more recently, it seems like the the nonces are becoming more distributed. So, is this probably the M20s and S17s not over optimizing yeah. in that regard? Yeah, that's that's what we think it is. Um, so the uh, the two chips that we found that had this problem were the S7 and the S9, and they are both Bitmain. Um, so it's interesting that the S17 has kind of phased this out as far as like the the M20s. Um, we haven't really detected that in um, in the previous uh, previous hardware created by that manufacturer, so um, it's it's a little bit more expected. Yeah, that's interesting, right? Because the S nine was uh, was released by Bitmain, and the designer uh, wound up leaving Bitmain and going to What's Minor, creating MicroBT and designing the What's Minor M twenty and M thirty S's. And so, uh, it's, to me at least, as as an observer and, and it, who works for a mining company uh, that uses M20s, is, it would be interesting to see if those uh, those white bands sort of return with the um, with the proliferation of that hardware, particularly. Like, was it the, the designer, the the actual individual designer of these chips that was responsible for this this non-random distribution? Yeah, totally. Um, and already looking at the nonce distribution, you can kind of see, uh, even today, it doesn't fully look uh, like static, like it should. 
Um, so we're kind of trying to investigate, uh, is there any other uh, anomalies that we can kind of leverage to, to track this hardware usage? Because it really does, it is a, a useful metric to be able to keep an eye on. Yeah. And yeah, it'll be, and that's another thing that always interests me thinking about mining, especially mining into the future is do we get to a point, we probably will due to physics, get to a point where these, these ASICs are commodified and how does that, how does that affect this distribution? And is there sort of a leveling out of, of hash rate and, uh, sort of more stable difficulty in the future? Um, this is me just rambling random thoughts in my head. Do you, do you, do you, uh, have any thoughts on that particularly? Yeah, totally. I mean, like the, the dynamics, um, are really interesting. I think it's, it's, as I'm sure, you know, um, a notoriously secretive industry, uh, so kind of if you're an outsider there's there's not a ton you can you can see in into um but the s9 was really the undisputed king for a while and we've kind of seen the beginnings of that sort of commodification and it's going to be very interesting to see where it where it goes from here yeah that's uh as a miner it thinking five ten years out at that point opex is going to be probably the the where all the advantages and the competition for mining are found like who can find the lowest energy and automate their processes as much as possible and is uh and it's, it's fascinating that we're in this weird uh beginning stages of this of this network and of this this industry because there are like a lot of inefficiencies that these miners particularly point out and and uh could take advantage of if you design a, a trip correctly. Um, and so another thing you guys are working on is like a hash rates index, correct? Yeah. What, uh, what's, what's the, I mean, this is something that's become, uh, a more popular topic in recent months is the, the need for hash rate futures and derivative products to help miners hedge. Would this be something that these products could in or, um, could leverage basically to to help produce an index or something like that yeah exactly um so if you want to settle derivatives you need a really high quality uh data source right um and that's what we're looking to provide so we are an independent data provider we think that we can um give really the the best reference points uh for these contracts to settle against so how would you how would you go about creating this index what would the inputs be um and, uh, what would you be looking at and and how would the final number be articulated or, or be found so hash rate isn't actually directly observable on bitcoin um this is kind of one of the things that gets lost in translation a lot uh you can only really tell hash rate from the uh frequency with which blocks are being delivered um and from the difficulty on the network uh so we have our estimation techniques for this. Um, they're relatively standard, but then um, we de develop these um, hash rate indices on top of that. Uh, and you know, these are these are a relatively commoditized product. But the uh, important aspect that we're delivering is that you know we are um, experts in the industry. We're very used to providing these sort of data feeds, and, and it integrates with our other products. On top of that, we have um, a product that we're calling observed work, which kind of leverages uh, these hash rate estimates 
to be able to give something that's a little bit harder to game uh, if you're, say, a high-frequency trader trading directly ahead of um, the settlement. Yes. I keep going back and forth, right? Because the, the hash rate and difficulty futures, particularly, like how can they be gamed and who can game them? More importantly, uh, it's becoming more apparent like who who really has the leverage here the the asic producers the miners the mining pools um who would be like that's as somebody who uh, may need to interact with these products in the future like it's just, just trying to think of attack scenarios who do, who do you think would be uh would benefit more from the inside information like mining pools that are able to leverage the liquidity of, of a hash rate future and potentially um engage in a short and turn off some of their some of their machines or stop um, or stop their pool or with the hardware manufacturer knowing the lead time for the delivery of the hardware um, be able to to play some games as well with that you know both um, I would say that the pools probably have more consistent access because um, hardware delivery times are a little bit uh, infrequent uh, but definitely, if if your clients are expecting uh, hardware to come at a certain date and, and they're hedging accordingly, and, and you know you kind of stall on delivery, it's it's a reputational risk, and I'm not sure that the hardware manufacturers would necessarily take it, but um, it's definitely something they could do. I mean, if if you want to, oh sorry, if you, if you want to do something that's a little bit less malicious um, or, or less overtly malicious, what they could do is they could actually deliver the hardware early and cause the price to surge or the hash rate to surge. <laughs> Right now, it's, and that's again going through these attack scenarios, like the incentive, especially like somebody was floating the idea that mining pools could could crash the price and and the hash rate if these FTX hash uh, derivatives become liquid enough. And it doesn't make sense to me, right? Like especially a pool, pools acting on behalf of the individual miners that point their hash towards it, like it, it and. Bitcoin is their golden goose. Like, would an upfront payoff that you're able to acquire from shorting in futures markets even be worth it? Um, if you're going to kill the golden goose, like, is that short-term profit worth it in the long run? I'm not sure. Um, frankly, I don't. I don't think there's really a way to be sure. But I think one interesting source of inspiration that we can look at is oil markets, uh, where you do actually have these oil companies trading futures. Um, and you have, it's one of those few markets really that exists where there's an overt cartel that controls it. Um, so I don't know, I'd be surprised if every time OPEC uh, announces that they're they're cutting production, um, they don't long oil futures right before it, you know, <laughs> at least someone on the right. team has it. Um, it's, just, it's just too much money yeah. on the line, frankly. And the OPEC unannounced difficulty adjustment <laughs> could come in at any time. <laughs> All right. I mean, we found that out the hard way uh, a couple months ago. Russia comes and says, ah, we're not cutting production. Saudis get pissed off. They're like, all right, we're going to ramp it up and try to bleed you dry. And the American shale industry dry too. And then and those futures market, that's, yeah. I've, I'm a believer that these future markets aren't going to kill Bitcoin or disrupt the incentives because like you just mentioned, they exist in other markets too. And they do provide... Uh, miners with the ability to hedge and maybe fund future expansion, right? Especially like if you get like a, ha a hash forwards contract where you sell hash up front for cash, it allows you to expand your operations. 
Um, yeah, I mean, I definitely think that there's um, there's trade-offs, right? But I, I don't consider them too, too problematic. Um, the biggest concern on my end is that uh, you do really want miners to have high capital expenditures uh, if you're, you know, from, from the perspective of securing the network um, because you want them to have a vested stake in, in the success of the network um, and operating expenditures just don't really do that. Uh, the ability to hedge kind of changes that dynamic a little bit, uh, but it's, you know, it's, it's where the world's headed and, and like it or not, the, the genie's out of the bottle. Yeah. Yeah. No, I completely agree. I think, um, proof of work specifically proof of work mining is, is the future. Our thesis at great American mining is that it's, uh, it's actually going to create crazy efficiencies across energy markets, even though people think, uh, Bitcoin mining boils the oceans. Uh, it's actually going to help the environment. Uh, at least we believe in, in many ways. Uh, do you have any, any thoughts on POW being, uh, sustainable into the future or do you are you do you think about proof of stake networks or anything like that in a lot too yeah i mean I, i've thought about both um i'm a i'm a fan of proof of work personally i think the the environmental concerns are concerning but not a big deal like it's it's given that so much of Bitcoin, uh, its energy consumption is localized towards, you know, excess places with very inexpensive excess energy that would basically just get thrown out anyway, or, um, you know, like you mentioned with great American mining flared. Uh, so given that's the case, I, I don't think it's too, too concerning, but obviously if we live in a world where you can consume energy or not consume energy, you'd rather just not for, for any given thing. So it's not really Bitcoin specific, but I don't think, yeah. I don't think we have any reason to fully buy into the fact that proof of stake has the same guarantees as proof of work today. Yeah, no, I agree. I think Paul Stork has made some good, uh, good points that proof of stake may not even be less costly. Uh, or less environmentally friendly than in proof of work due to the capital needed to to acquire the stake within the network and stake it. Um, it's interesting. It's uh, we'll see if Ethereum can transition to 2.0. I'm not uh, as confident as as some people are. Um, I think th I think they're going to have some trouble doing that. But um, we have Tezos and other blockchains to see if that can um, work in the wild. But again, I'm very skeptical of, of proof of stake. I think proof of work. Uh, like you mentioned, the capital expenditure needed to be deployed uh, to get the hardware and actually make the protect the network creates much better incentives. Yeah, it's I mean it's it's even like even proof of work coins that have uh, CPU mineable uh, algorithms kind of suffer from from this problem, right? So uh, or or even those that do require specialized hardware, but just there's there's enough of it available on, on rental marketplaces like NiceHash. They do, they do experience these types of attacks. So as a result, I mean, like liquidity is usually your friend, but in this case, liquidity is not your friend and, and you want this to be an illiquid asset. Yeah, yeah, fascinating. So what, uh, you're on the data side of Bitcoin. Like, do you think Bitcoin's an imperative technology for, for the world right now? You, you thought, hey, it was stupid drug money. And then it's like, oh yeah, it's stupid drug money. We need it. Um, um, are you uh, are you a believer in the the freedom enabling 
properties that Bitcoin presents, or do you believe do you believe they exist? Yeah, that's that's exactly how I feel about it. Um, I think it's it's one of those things where like its ability to function on a marketplace like Silk Road is testament to its core value proposition, which is that it is censorship resistant money. Um, like if if we wanted to test out censorship resistant money, we wouldn't, you know, do it on the most uncontroversial thing possible. We would do it on the most controversial thing possible. So um, when you see these markets using it, that's that's just proof of Bitcoin working. <laughs> so yeah, it seems like we're about to get another big test uh, with Iran coming out, the Iranian government coming out and say that they're going to support Bitcoin mining industries specifically. It's absolutely bonkers. Yeah. <laughs> Um, right yeah but i mean those same properties like do hold in in cases where free speech is needed so like the human rights foundation takes donations in bitcoin um i know like wikileaks is is largely funded through that uh it's it's really crucial right like like we need to protect censored activities um and sometimes that's speech sometimes that's drugs sometimes it's you know like going outside <laughs> uh, so yeah. Right. uh yeah no it's it's gotta it may um it may disturb people that it helps the drug dealers and uh, the iranian government or entrepreneurs within iran that are being incentivized by the iranian government but it also helps the refugees the people in venezuela trying to accept and send money um between their family members and and it is this weird mental block that people have that uh, if it helps one type of user, we should shut it all down. But that's really a bad way to look at like, should we stop everybody from drinking water? Um, <laughs> I mean, maybe. <laughs> no, um, no I, I completely agree with you. Like it's, there's this conflation of uh, legality and morality that I think happens in a lot of people's minds. Um, and I think honestly, like, I'm not condoning anyone breaking the law here if this does come up in court or anything like that. But uh, uh, I think they seem relatively uncorrelated in my mind. Um, there are plenty of immoral things that are perfectly legal and plenty of super illegal things like free speech in a lot of countries that just are a moral imperative. Yeah, I mean, we're we're seeing a play out right now in China and Hong Kong. The Chinese just announced that they're what was it a, a national security act that they're grandfathering hong kong into like without even having them vote about it in the legislature it's fucking crazy times right now we're gonna see a bifurcation in the world between the countries that protect free speech and liberty and, and those that don't and actually here in america it's it's i don't like the way the trend's going like uh i think bitcoin's imperative specifically here in america because we, we actually are not going down the right path right now in terms of uh, of liberty and, and and freedom of speech specifically. I, I completely agree with you. Like Corona has just been a massive mask off moment for all of the would be dictators of the world. Um, we're seeing it in Hungary. We're seeing it, you know, to a certain extent here and it's, it's a concerning trend. Yeah. I mean, what do you think about the Apple's latest update? Are you going to, are you going to update to their, their latest iOS? Um, I think I missed that one. I've been kind of uh, in the lab a little bit. Can you catch me up on that? They have uh, latest iPhone iOS um, 
has it embedded at the protocol level, like contract contact tracing. Um, so they're going to allow apps to to use Apple's API to to build contract contact tracing um, functionalities to alert you if you've been around somebody who has Corona. I'm sure this will not be abused by anybody. Um, and it is uh, not. I go back and forth. I mean, I don't. I I think it's terrible, but it's already here. It seems that. Uh, coronavirus is being used as an opportunity for these would-be dictators and authoritarians to basically create an excuse to be more blatant with the tracking and and the surveillance of our of the u.s citizens yeah i mean i completely agree with you it's not even um in my mind it's not even the concern of tracking like you're already being tracked all the time always uh it's the normalization of it uh i think if you look at like all of those new york times articles that uh you know, use cell phone data, you see how granular of a perception anybody can, like anybody who has an app on your phone already has. But it's kind of in a way nice that people don't really know about this because once you start making it normal and, and them like accepting it, you're, you're, you're really like normalizing them to this thing that is severely unnatural is the ability of the government, an app developer, your cell carrier to track you all the time, always. Yeah, and it's, it happened after 9-11, like the TSA. I hate the TSA, personally. I think uh, I always feel violated when I have to put my hands up in that stupid scanner, especially after it's been proven that it really doesn't do anything. Um, and that got normalized pretty quickly after 9-11. It's still here to this day. And all these measures are apparently temporary. And this is only temporary for the coronavirus. But it's it'll be interesting to see what, what happens. What is it? May 22nd. Uh, Apple released that, that update, I think, two days ago. So May 20th, 2020. It'll be interesting to see uh, what they're doing with this stuff in May 20th, 2030. Um, what happens to it. And, it's scary, man. Like uh, I say it a lot on this podcast. We have two paths we can go down. We, we either get the Chinese surveillance state exported to the West, and it seems like people in our intelligence agencies would love that, which is scary to think. Or we build a ro- world where we, we build distributed systems where, where you really hold your data and have agency over that data, um, whether it be Bitcoin or uh, the pictures that you hold on your server and stuff like that. And it's weird to think that maybe we fucked up the internet in its first iteration and uh, made some pretty critical design flaws uh, in terms of having our data siloed on these servers owned by large corporations and governments. Yeah. Another rant here. No, it's, it's definitely rough. And uh, I think part of the most upsetting factor of it is that all of these problems are solvable. Like there's nothing fundamental stopping us from having people storing uh you know their photos locally um memory is really really cheap now but uh we were just not the first ones to the punch and the ux is significantly worse and and convenience trumps everything so yeah that's why bitcoin makes me more optimistic too i've i think bitcoin's going to be a hardware revolution as much as it is a software revolution like running my own node and interacting with my own node has really empowered me and, and actually helped me see a vision forward where, all right, it's a little rough around the edges right now using like Noddle or MyNode software to connect um, 
apps that that Bitcoin leverages. But once you do and you have it up and running, it's pretty cool to think that hey, this little box in my living room is holding all this data and I control it. It's not going through Amazon. It's not going through Google. Um, they can't see it. It's running through Tor. The vision's there. It's just whether or not the will will be behind it. Yeah. No. It's it's crazy. It's it's all here though. Like it's it's um all the all the fundamental problems have been solved and and like you know obviously you're not going to run all your payments through bitcoin today on on the base layer like that just doesn't doesn't make sense but if you're ever doing something where you, you know you think you have plausible reason to believe that you're going to be censored or, or otherwise um like affected by financial intermediaries do it you know it's it's there right and i saw you uh getting a little discussion with hasu yesterday about scaling like what do you what do you think about the state of bitcoin as a network and uh especially at the protocol level and second layers and scaling how do you see this playing out moving forward um i generally buy into the vision of bitcoin banks um i think that having this settable so so just sorry to backtrack a little bit um the idea behind bitcoin banks is that you have these private entities that um run nodes, process transactions, do do all of these normal things, but they're backed by uh, proofs of reserves and um, they are actually like audited, provably solvent, um, you know, the whole shebang. Uh, and they settle transactions on uh, Bitcoin's base layer, uh, as does, uh, as do individuals if they choose to. Um, so having this globally available settlement network um, really does open up a lot of doors and it's not it's not just a nicety to it'll allow it gives you the option of financial disintermediation even if that option is a little bit more expensive or a lot more expensive no i completely agree and i i'm a believer of the bitcoin bank model too and a lot of people are like oh you're changing the narrative it's supposed to be digital cash but that's why i was typing i was pulling up the the Hal Finney post on bitcointalk.org. Um, and he posted this on December 30th, 2010. Um, so this idea, and, they, and it's Satoshi and uh, other cypherpunks early on when Bitcoin first launched really pointed out that if you want this to scale, you need to do it in layers or you're going to have to have some intermediaries. Um, uh, uh, like doing transactions on their own servers or something behind the scenes and settling every once in a while um as yeah and as long as you can run a full node and verify that the transactions you want to receive if you want to receive them are are valid i think i think we're all we're all gucci just having the about the ability to do that is is the imperative yeah it's a it's a game changer um and i also you know i i like l2 stuff too i think it's it's very interesting um so lightning has you know been on my mind even as it's kind of faded from um from the dominant narrative a little bit over the last few months um but it's I'll cool you, I, I use lightning every day yeah i love lightning yeah if you, as soon as you have your i mean i receive i receive lightning payments every day and uh i downloaded juggernaut earlier this week i've been using that uh bitcoin bounty hunters which is a video game uh bitcoinbountyhunters.com I put up an ad with Lightning earlier this week for TFTC. And you just put a thumbnail of, of our podcast image and you just fund the ad in the video game with Lightning and it works flawlessly. That's sick. It's, uh, yeah, a lot of people poo-poo Lightning. There's a lot of misconceptions. They're like, oh, there's more there's more Bitcoin and rap BTC. Uh, 
than the Lightning Network, and people are like, oh, look at the volume of uh, Bitcoin on Lightning is, is decreasing rapidly. But uh, again, going back to the hardware, a lot of these out-of-the-box node operators are, are uh, natively running Lightning through Tor and the nodes through Tor, so you don't see those channels uh, on, on the charts that they're using. And I think there's a lot more lightning usage than people actually realize. And things like discrete log contracts coming out in the future, if we get Schnorr and Taproot and stuff like that are, are infinitely fascinating from a smart contract perspective. Yeah. Schnorr and Taproot are, are awesome. Um, and yeah, to your point, like, I, I think it's not, I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, you know, diss any products here, but like WBTC to me is not a particularly interesting product just because it is custodied. Um, so it's interesting insofar as seeing Bitcoin banks get built out, but it's not a layer two technology by any stretch of the imagination, really. It's it's just a liability that's represented on Ethereum for assets custodied by BitGo. I thought it was DeFi. That's, I think that's TVTC, which I understand a little bit less, but <laughs> we'll see, man. Yeah, they had a rough yeah. week. Shit. And, uh, yeah, when they messed up, the, they didn't have compatible scripts or something like that. They paid a pub key hash or something yeah. that was not compatible with the Solidity code. Yeah, something like that. I, I, I was not following that too, too closely. Um, but yeah, it's crazy. And, you know, it's it's kind of uh we we've gone a lot I've been thinking about this today just happy pizza day but um we have gone a pretty long <laughs> way days, right? from uh, paying ten thousand Bitcoin for a pizza so um right. very interested to see kind of where the the base layer versus L two development goes from here yeah it's always frustrating to see how impatient people are like, I need I'm with know. it. I need to be like this. I'm now. with it. I'm I'm impatient. Like, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I get it. Uh, but yeah, it's 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 unfortunate. It's a work in progress, and it's it can be painfully slow. But but it's important to remember that it's a work in progress and and not done yet. <laughs> so, what are you most impatient about? Like, what uh, you mentioned layer two and lightning, but what else? Like, what particular use cases or or utility? do you think is, is necessary and necessary in a quick amount of time? Um, you know, like, this isn't really an answer to that. Uh, I think <laughs> the Bitcoin ETF thing kind of uh, showed us how slow financialization in general is going to be. Um, I don't think we're going to get a US-based ETF for a very long time. I, I don't even know if we want one uh, necessarily. Um, yeah, like, why would you buy an ETF when you could just buy a UTXO in the cash app? That's always perplexed me. It's it's like nice to be able to to use your same um, account that you use for everything else, right? Like like if I if I have a, an account at say Schwab, um, it would be really nice to be able to buy um, a US based ETF just with the same thing. I don't have to transfer money to some shady crypto exchange. Um, and and keep in mind if I'm like. You know, a relatively conservative boomer here. Coinbase is a shady crypto exchange, so uh, it's it's not even. Yeah, but why why are we catering to boomers? They're going to die soon. Let's <laughs> think about Gen Z. They got they got the cash, man. We need to. I don't know. Like, I, it's it's one of those things where I think it's being able to use this asset and 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 gaining 
I hate this phrase, but getting closer to mass adoption um, is something that that matters to a certain extent. It, it, the biggest threat to Bitcoin in my mind is, isn't hostile nations. It's not game theoretic attacks. It's it's just sheer apathy. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, I'm right there with you, brother. That's that that saying has been said many times on this podcast. That's my biggest worry is, is pure apathy. Um, people just don't give a fuck or realize that they should give a fuck. And, and that's what with, with this lockdown stuff, it's giving me a little bit more hope that hopefully people won't be as apathetic moving forward. Hopefully more people are questioning why the Fed can print money out of thin air and why it has unlimited cash. And they're starting to ask why they're why they even pay taxes. Yeah. Um, and the whole hypocrisy of of the elite class is being laid. Bare. Yeah. Um, one of the things I have been more impatient uh, about has been waiting for the volatility to come back. Um, I. I, I love the volatility, man. It's it's just fun watching the number go up and then down and then up again. Like, um, and I think it's it's a big thing that drew a lot of people to Bitcoin. And I think it's like popular as a pessimistic narrative. It's it's too volatile to be useful. But I would counter that it's really like given how early it is, the volatility is is on team good. Yeah. I need to get I need to get in better shape before the volatility comes back. I always get like my heart out <laughs> like in December, 2017, it was like, there was some moments where it's like, holy shit, man, what the fuck is going on? Like I was working at Barstool and it was pure mania, like people running around the office. That's all they could focus on and that. Like if we do have a similar type bull market to an order of magnitude, higher price, I can't even imagine what like the global attention and like how much Twitter talk there's going to be about all this stuff. Uh, it's, it's absolutely ludicrous. Like it's, um, I kind of, I got like, uh, into the space, um, in the summer of 2017. Uh, so right before this, just this massive pump. Um, and I actually sat it out because I was like, this is, this is, just money for degenerates right now. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I, I, I like this thing. I think it's interesting. There's no way I'm buying at any of these prices. And then it just kept going up. <laughs> and well, so, so let's di let's dive into that. Let's pull on that thread a little bit. Like, what was it like coming in then? Uh, what, like, obviously the ICO boom was, you're in the thick of it. And so did that, was it hard to, sort of get your bearings on on the signal through the noise and what was worth paying attention to at this point. Oh yeah, and I was I was completely um off off course and I think I've I've taken like the long and winding road to focusing mostly on Bitcoin. Um just even like yeah, it's 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 taken me a while um to kind of find my bearings. Uh and you know, I'm still working on it. Like it's it's still I'm still learning. Um I know a little bit about mining, but then like yesterday I would ended up on someone's Twitter feed and or Twitter page. Um, I saw they were talking about like the glue that they use to glue mining hardware together. And I was like, wow, I know literally nothing about mining. <laughs> <laughs> mining is such a mind. I mean, I'm in it and I'm still yeah. learning, learning more and more um, every day. So. <laughs> uh, so it's really cool. It's, it's just, it's, it's, uh, it's one of those things where um, it's a Trojan horse for learning like about monetary economics and energy consumption and all of that, but it's, it's also just interesting and it's and um, can't wait to learn more. Yeah. So what, what sort of helped you on your, on your winding path? How, how would help you find your bearings? Um, People, literature. Yeah. I read a lot. Uh, I don't, I'm not a big fan of books. 
uh, personally. I, I think they're uh, not to disc books, but they're too long for me. Uh, but I'm just always on uh, Wikipedia. I'm always reading. Uh, <laughs> Would this be, that's an this absolute be beast. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I, I'm always, I'm always reading. And I think like over time you kind of, um, start to understand a little bit, um, and just got to hope that you don't get pulled into the wrong rabbit hole because that that's a huge waste of time. Um, but, uh, I, I still definitely have days where I'm like, wow, this whole Bitcoin thing might be a scam, but, <laughs> um, but they're, they're getting fewer and farther between. So <laughs> What are the thoughts that lead to those thoughts or what leads you to those thoughts? Um, I don't know. I'll see someone say like, like something really dumb. That's like in favor of Bitcoin. And I'm like, God damn, this is the, <laughs> these are the people on like who support this really like <laughs> am I on the, am I on the wrong side here? <laughs> right but, now it is, it is, it is hard uh, sometimes there. I mean, that's also it's the double-edged sword of Bitcoin, right? Like anybody can use it and, it is there's no marketing team that's so the beauty yeah right it's uh it has been interesting to watch uh so i've been around since like not, i've been lurking and paying attention since like late 2013 uh very intently so it's like jesus christ i'm a seven years that's now. crazy man and um the comparison to the 2014 2015 2016 bear market so this bear market has been uh, very interesting to watch play out because back then it was just, it was still mainly like on Twitter. Twitter's been my main uh, medium for consuming content and oh same. I just mainline it about Bitcoin. Yeah, and Twitter back in 2015, 2016 was still all like altcoin traders and a few Bitcoin devs, but it was just basically altcoin traders saying crypto is dead and it's never coming back and the there was like a lack of consult not consolidation but effort to uh make the messaging better and compared to post 2017 since then i feel like the the amount of quality information education that's been created in that time frame has been a world like it's night and day compared to the last bear market so with that in mind i'm very interested to see uh what that base layer of like knowledge that's been built out sort of does for for the next run and it's one like talking about volatility on the other side of a bull market if we're going into one and it becomes very volatile do we have as a severe crash a severe crash as we had in the past like are we going to see another 80 percent drop after the next peak i'm not so sure i don't know yeah i don't know i'd say probably but um, that's just kind of my, my gut feeling is that things pump and then, and then dump, you know, the slower, the build up, the, the slower, the crash. Uh, so really, if you want to build something sustainable, what you want is like sustained long-term growth, not, um, not pumps, but if you're in it for the roller coaster ride, which I personally like, <laughs> then you want, you want both. Our highs are on average higher than they were, right? Like before, before 2017, um, 2018. So it, I mean, from a price perspective, at least, which I think is just one consideration, like you mentioned the, the knowledge, um, and I I would even venture just like the other infrastructure that's around has gotten so much better. Um, but, but even just from a price perspective, like this, this run up 
and even the ensuing crash were were good so i can live with it you know <laughs> yeah i mean the on-ramps are better the data providers like queen metrics are better people can make more educated decisions on entering this stuff and uh again the education's better it seems like people being able to operate nodes is better the ux around that the ux around multi-sig is better the ux around hardware wallets is better uh and my favorite chart to look at is like the the price lows of each year um that's that's always uh a better indicator in my opinion than what have time. you seen there um that's not one that i've i've dug into too much you just have higher that's lows. sick that's that's what you want to see <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think this year and last year have had no last year or it was last year's low and the low before that were very similar, but um so last year's low was what, like thirty five hundred? Yeah. Around there. This year this year, well, thirty thirty eight hundred a wick down a March twelfth. Yeah. Um so it's, so it's a Yeah. Higher. And I mean it's funny that you mentioned that because like Higher derivatives value. were just not nearly as big of a thing. Um you know, way back when and and, and like what, FTX is a year old. Um and it's it's kind of crazy watching that build up. Um, that's that's that yeah. is actually game changing infrastructure. I love, I love FTX's mentality of just fuck it. We're going to create any market. Yeah, it's sick. U.S. presidential election markets. Let's do yeah, it. Yeah, and um, and they were the first big one to to roll out a uh, hash rate derivatives. So I think that's like yeah, I, I'm, yeah. I'm 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 loving that honestly. Yeah, that'll be interesting to see. Like who, because Bitmax unregulated. Outside of the Seychelles, yeah. um, <laughs> they they really led the way for uh, price derivatives, futures, um, and leverage trading. Up to this point, obviously we have the CME now and more institutional players here. But uh, it seems that these unregulated sort of pirate ship companies really lead the way. And I've been having conversations with more regulated entities trying to bring these hash rate futures to market and it will be interesting to see if if ftx just beats them to the punch and, and paves the way for how to do this correctly and it'll be actually fascinating if, if retail investors provide the liquidity for miners to to hedge their their equipment bets instead of huge family offices and stuff like yeah that. it'll be it'll be interesting i mean this this whole um industry feels a lot like gambling a lot of the time uh, but um it's cool. It's also like, yeah, you have these pirate ship companies that kind of show that like it is possible to function outside of regulated markets. And, and they also have their whole share of horror stories, like every exchange hack and all of that. Um, but, uh, yes. and, and exit scams and all that, but, but it's, it's cool. I think it's a very unique industry and I, I, I love just watching it grow. Now I got into a debate the other, the other night in a telegram chat, like somebody saying like, Bitcoin needs Wall Street and needs like regulation to succeed. It's like, no, it doesn't succeed if it needs that. Like, like you said, it's got to be that black market money. It's got to be able to succeed with pirate ship companies creating uh, products and and tools for, for Bitcoiners to leverage without any permission. Yeah, and this is probably when I should add that like none of this is the views of my employer. <laughs> <laughs> I think your employer's your employer is pretty based. Um, but yeah, I they're think, they're cool, uh, but uh, I should probably mention that at least once. Uh, um, Cream is on here as an individual. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, um, yeah, I think like it's it's uh, it's awesome. It's a it's a unique industry. It's got um, like 
a lot more people who are used to dealing with a lot of uncertainty. I think a big part of that is is being used to this volatility, and another big part of it is just um, the inherent randomness of, of of dealing with something so new. Um, so, right, it's fucking alien <laughs> technology, dude. Straight out, like, straight out. We don't even we don't even know what we're doing with it. It's like we're like, I posted this uh, this picture in that conversation I was referencing like the beginning of uh, 2001 a space odyssey when the monkeys are just looking at that huge slab rock like, this thing? <laughs> yeah it's it's whack like we, um but and that's like talking about scaling too like yes i do believe in bitcoin banks and i think that is advantageous uh, but i also think we severely discount uh, potential innovations that could be made in and around the protocol moving forward the like cottage industries for getting uh, transactions included in blocks and uh, efficiencies at the software and hardware level. Um, I think a lot of people, when they think about scaling, sort of pigeonhole themselves into the current state of the network and are very imaginative about like externalities that'll that'll help push the success forward in the future. Yeah, and I think this is gonna where I'm gonna give like a massive shout out to just Join Market. Um, it is like one of the coolest. I don't even know how to describe it. Things in existence because it's a it's it's not a company it's an exchange but it's you know like it's its own thing and, and join market what it lets you do is it it really democratizes privacy it lets you coin join um and get paid to coin join if you have low time preference um and i think it's going to be really cool watching stuff like that get built out for for scaling that kind of exists outside of these regulated institutions and is you know, like it is a protocol, but it is not a core protocol development. Yeah. And I'm, I can't wait to see fidelity bonds become more popular and see how people utilize them. And that really strengthens the incentive of that, of that. Whole it's going to be dope. Yeah. It's, it's going to be, it's going to be awesome. Um, and proof of reserves, right. like proof of reserves is, is awesome. <laughs> I can hear Eric Voskul yelling right now. Is it possible? Is it possible? Uh, I hope it's possible, right? I, I think it's possible. Like, I, I think the problems come in when you have like the liabilities part. Um, so uh, having clearly the auditor is the weak point in proof of reserves uh, schemes. So let's let's flesh this out. Uh, proof of reserves. Let's for, totally. uh, explain it like I'm five. Um, I want proof of reserves. I think it, it, anybody, any Bitcoiner should want them. And that's the big question right now. Is it possible? Um, yeah, so just kind of backtracking a little bit, proof of reserves uh, let you prove that you're holding um, the assets that you claim to hold and that your reserves uh, in the progressive proof of solvency let you prove that um, the assets that you're claiming to hold actually exceed the liabilities that you owe to, say, your customers. Um, so the on-chain part of the proof of reserves is fundamentally definitely possible. The proof of liabilities is where you're exposing yourself to this need for uh, an auditor who's a financial auditor, not an on-chain auditor. Um, financial auditors lie all the time. This is just a fact. Um, Arthur Anderson. Yeah. Brings it back. Uh, so there's your problem, right? And and there isn't. This isn't something that I think you can fundamentally like protocol around. This is just a, a problem with corruption. Yeah, it's human error. Um, but generally, we tend to trust auditors also, right? Like, like you don't, you just, you kind of rely on that as, as a 
thing of fact and, and reputation systems are at play here and uh and every large company gets audited and we kind of just rely on that so i think proof of reserves are not a silver bullet but to the extent that they are definitely possible they also definitely help i would agree i would agree there and and we're seeing this play out with like multi-sig products like unchain's loan product if you want to use bitcoin as collateral for us dollar loan you put it in a multi-sig that you have a key in and you can always audit that they're not using they're not lending your bitcoin out or something like that to somebody else so that's i guess that would be a small form of proof of reserve just a multi-sig that you uh can watch yeah. during the duration of a loan or something no, i would totally count that um yeah it, it gets a little bit more complicated uh when you have liabilities that aren't just so so proof of reserves are most typically discussed in the context of exchanges uh, and it gets a little bit more complicated when you add uh, additional liabilities that aren't just to customers. Um, so an exchange could say, borrow a ton of Bitcoin from a lending desk, uh, pay in fiat and uh, deposit that Bitcoin into their addresses temporarily and um, you know do the proof of reserves audit, but have this thing, this loan kind of off the books um, and then just send it back to the lending desk uh, having conducted the audit, but they never actually had that Bitcoin. Like they never uh, philosophically owned it. They they owed it to someone else. Um, yeah. But regularity largely addresses that. So if you just have like, if you do this weekly or monthly or, or I don't know how often, um, you make it a lot harder to pull that off. And, and that's really what this is all about. Yeah, so that's a big knock, right? Is for the reserves, you get hypothetically just send coin to an address right before you need to do the audit and be like here it's here and then just give it back or something like that and so that's like it's time like that's why i imagine like something like a time lock for a certain amount of reserves not an extended time lock in the months or years but like like weeks and days like you just said would make some sense yeah right? that would that would make sense especially if the exchange has like um or, or other custodian has cash flows um you kind of expect them not just to be solvent today, you expect them to be solvent next week too. Uh, so time locks could definitely help there. Yeah. It's fascinating. This uh, this new financial system is being built out. That's the thing that pissed me off about that conversation. It was like, Bitcoin is part of Wall Street now. It's like, ah, Wall Street leverages Bitcoin and there are products, but it is still a system bereft of, of the control that the regulators have over Wall Street. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of Bitcoiners underestimate the degree to which the ecosystem is going to change once Wall Street comes in, but uh, I definitely think we can continue to exist with or without them for ever, for a very long time at least. You think it's going to be drastic? Yeah, I think like my kind of, this is a bit of a tin hat theory here, but a uh, tinfoil hat theory. But I think we're going to start to see a lot of walled gardens uh, within Bitcoin, um, where you have this highly KYC, like, you know, kind of the equivalent of like diamond markets or gold. This is blood diamond free Bitcoin. Um, it was mined by an affiliate of um, NASDAQ or something like that. And this is these hundred Bitcoins are the ones that the banks keep circling between themselves forever. Uh, and all the other Bitcoin trades at a significant uh, discount to this, like clean Bitcoin. 
I, I think that's possible. I would ideally like to not see that. Would trade at a discount or a premium? Um, I think your your dirty plea Bitcoin would probably trade at a discount to to like you know like uh, highly KYC right, Bitcoin yeah. that, that the bankers are willing to to gamble on, right? Yeah. See, I pff, fuck man. Because again, I've been having conversations with mining pools too. I sort of want this like white label mining pool where it's like, hey, you're you're mining to this pool with people that are regulated and KYC'd, and I really don't like that concept. The permission, permission. I feel like that's an attack vector. I I completely agree with you, but it's it's one possible universe, right? Um, I I think, and and I think, like Wall Street coming in is going to be a headache, and people don't seem to to fully get that. Cream. This is why we need to fight to get Bitcoin labeled as free speech on Capitol Hill. Yeah, it solves all these problems. Totally, totally. Um, right. But hey, I mean, we'll, we'll all buy them just in a... the process. I think so. Can deal. No. <laughs> I want the freedom. I don't want the money. Will be nice, but fuck, man. Yeah. I don't want all this control. And again, all this KYC AML laws. We talk about this on this podcast a lot. They do more fucking harm than good. We found that out this week with BlockFi. Like. We have a bunch of Bitcoiners whose physical addresses are on the dark net market right now. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the cool things about Bitcoin is that it lets you transact with other people with them knowing as close to the exact minimum possible about you as possible, right? Um, yeah, but <laughs> we had an example of that this yeah. week too, and those coins moved from from uh, the Coinbase of that block from February t- 2009. Everybody's like... Everybody's like, oh, it's it's a bummer. We can see who this is. It's like, well, do you know who it is? Yeah. Like, everybody's just guessing. No, it, it's insane. Like, I'll, I'll go into like buy coffee or something, and and they get my name, my credit card number, which they can use to spend my money, um, and literally everything else about me. <laughs> you know, um, and and Bitcoin kind of lets you not do that, and that's that's kind of cool. <laughs> so, uh, it's. It's unfortunate that through KYC and through regulation, um, that's kind of been largely compromised for for the trading use case, at least. Yeah. <sighs> Talking about like the U.S. wanting to bring the Chinese surveillance state here, like it, it seems more and more like like these draconian laws, man. They do more harm than good. These people want to control you. They fuck. <laughs> they hate us, Korea. Yeah, it's it's pretty uncool. Um, I, uh, I, I, I'm not, I'm not super with it. And like the unfortunate part is it's completely, um, it applies to everyone on earth basically. Right. Like, like, uh, we, uh, the U S government pressured more or less every single country's banks to accept, um, like surveillance from, from American law enforcement. Um, so there really isn't any hiding from it. And, and, you know, they're, they're the big guys with the guns. So they're, they're gonna, um, you know, you kind of just got to do what they say, but, but it's unfortunate that they're saying stuff that we don't really like. <laughs> Kareem, what kind of mentality I, is that? We're supposed yeah. to be Americans, we're supposed to be a land oh, of freedom. Man, I am, I am like anyone who's talked to me. I love this country so much, but, but it's this, this like world police thing is just really not what it's, it's thoroughly un-American in my mind. Our whole country is built on the concept of leaving other people alone. So <laughs> I agree. I agree. Yeah, we just 
We police the world so much. Venezuela just had to, to fucking ship nine jets worth of gold to Iran because they couldn't send them a, a wire transfer. Not that I agree with the governments of, of Venezuela or Iran, but it is... I don't like the regimes at all. They have trickle-down effects where it affects the, the individual citizens within these countries, and they tend to be good people, I, I imagine. Yeah, I mean, I think, like, yeah, that kind of goes without saying. Like, we're we're talking about how we don't like tyranny here. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense that we'd be pro these two countries that are some of the most oppressive regimes in the world. But, uh, but yeah, it's just like it, it makes it hard to do normal stuff if you're just a normal person, and that sucks. Yeah. Bitcoin for the common man. Buy the common man. <laughs> Buy some stats. Stack some stats today. Um, yeah. I've got I've got to get going here soon. It's been a fascinating conversation. What um is there anything you guys are doing at Coinmetrics outside the hash rate uh, index and um, your research into mining hardware and non data that you want to? Yeah. Touch on? Um. If you need data at all, just hit us up. Um. We have uh, some of the highest quality network data and market data available. Um. Cover a ton of assets. Uh, a ton of metrics on top of those and it's highly reliable so um, if you're an exchange miner lending desk whatever we we're your guys you know <laughs> and a couple more things where can we find out more about you and tell me more about your fascination with deadpan humor and comedy totally um i am at kareem help me on twitter h-e-l-p-m-e uh, not how I usually spell my last name. Uh, and I just like dumb jokes, man. And I like like convincing people that the dumb jokes... I, I like playing the line between I'm joking and I'm serious. Uh, I don't like changing my facial expression too much. It, it bothers everyone around me to no end, but uh, get get my kicks from it. So, <laughs> so who's, your, who's, your favorite com- who's your favorite comedian? My favorite comedian... Be, uh... I can't. I can't really choose. Um, but I, I, it's it's not a not really a comedian in the traditional sense. But I've been watching a lot of Parks and Rex recently, uh, just while I've been in quarantine, and it's been it's funny. It's a good show. So, yeah, yeah, it's been a quarantine show for me as well. Yeah, um, love that. Love that Ron Swanson energy. Honestly, if you're, if you're talking about Johnny America, like. <laughs> <laughs> so... I want to make sure you understood me when I said all the eggs and bacon. I mean all the eggs and bacon. I watched that episode two nights ago. (laughs) (laughs) One of the, uh, one of the most base characters on network TV to ever exist. What a beast. Yeah. Well, Kareem, it's been fascinating to get to know you a little bit. That was just a a drive run first interaction outside of DMS. I was very happy. uh, We made it happen. Thank you for, uh, the research you're doing at uh, Coinmetrics, what you guys are doing at Coinmetrics, I think you guys have incredible data, an incredible product, and uh, a dedication to Bitcoin that uh, that is needed. And um, keep crushing it. Thanks, man. Uh, thanks so much for having me on. This is my first podcast appearance, uh, and yeah, it's been it's been great. Yeah, I hope it wasn't uh, too torturous for you. Nah, we're chilling. We're chilling. <laughs> All right. Enjoy the rest you of your day, man. Take care. Peace and love, freaks.